the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, August 14th. Back to baseball after a couple of NFL shows. The top 10 largest free agent contracts of 2023 from Aaron Judge down. Dan Sowen and I break down each one, kind of recap where things stand. Uh, spoiler, it's ugly for the most part based on injuries and down years and career lows and all sorts of bad things to talk about. We try to find some silver linings in a few of these deals. A um, lot of Mets, a lot of Yankees, a uh, lot of Cardinals, a lot of Cubs, a lot of Rangers. So we kind of break out and have some team discussions about where these contracts sort of fit going forward, right? Because for the most part, the 2023 regular season is on its final home stretch. Some of these teams will have some postseason success. There's no question about it. But for the most part, where are we going from here? What's going to happen with Aaron Judge's contract in the grand scheme of the Yankees? What about the Edwin Diaz-Brandon Nimmo contracts for the Mets, who we don't really know <laughs> where they're headed after this repositioning that happened at the trade deadline? And uh, certainly the Cardinals and Cubs have their own problems to talk about, and we'll see what happens with those. So Dan and I break down the 10 biggest contracts signed last free agency as we get ready for the end of the 2023 regular season. That's next. All right, Dan, let's get back to baseball talk. I uh, collected the top 10 free agent contracts from this past winter and spring in terms of total value. It's an ugly list. Let's try to have a somewhat positive conversation about it, right? I mean, some of this is going to be new home, new fit, uh, different scenario, needs another year to percolate kind of stuff. But for the most part, um, you know, every single one of these players has some kind of story attached to them in just three or four months of work here. So, um, I guess your overall thoughts on that, right? They get through six years of team control. They finally get to a, a splashy contract situation. These are the best of the best. These are, for the most part, the top player at their respective position heading towards free agency. Most of these contracts are considered an overpay. I think you'd agree with that. And I don't know, 80% of these aren't worth the price of admission right now, walking in the door. Is that just how baseball works? Is that how all free agency works? Am I? kind of looking at this through blinders right now and I should step back and just say, look, this is how free agency works in a nutshell. Yeah. I think it's easy to paint a broad stroke on um, these guys based on the context of when they hit free agency, right? This is nothing new. They hit, mm -hmm. typically guys line up for free agency around 30 years old. Um, players who hit that significantly younger Bryce Harper types um, right. that those have a little bit more uh, less risk, excuse me, less risk to them in my opinion. But um, really, I, I think it, I, I, we've talked about this at nauseum sometimes, but I think it comes back to the term with these, right? Like I, I wouldn't have I an issue with these guys making inflated um, AAV salaries. Um, if, if it was shorter term, it's just when they get into these, extended extended deals to to stretch out the luxury tax hit mm -hmm. that's when we get into issues now from the other side um you know you can advocate for the teams that they really don't care what the player looks like at the end of the contract that the value up front if the player maintains um how they produced thus far is enough for them right. and i do understand that but yeah in a nutshell these don't look good and i think we predicted that most of these wouldn't look good and we were sort of left with the task of just saying 
which ones will look least bad in the future, if you know what I'm trying to say. So, like, there's still yeah. some that I'm not – like, in a nutshell, does 10 years, 11 years, <laughs> 200 $300 million look good right now? No, but those players still will add value. It's just that, in a nutshell, when players are on, you know, pre our mm-hmm. deals making well under a million dollars – it's it's hard to to justify paying any one player 20 30 plus million dollars when um you know injuries etc and anything can happen to one player in such a team sport where you you know it's obviously been borne out in recent years where you need depth etc it's just hard to justify paying any one single player this amount of money all right so i'm going to build that in this conversation i like the way you phrase some of that um so as we go down this list i'm going to ask you for your confidence factor all right. Like just specifically on with a player and a team, how confident are you that either he'll continue on with the production he posted this year or it'll improve and things will settle down and the nature of the team around him is going to improve the situation wholeheartedly. By the way, you mentioned the age stuff and it's all over the place. I mean, guys come in the league at different various points of the time based on college or international, whatever the heck is going on. It's it's not like the NFL, right, where. Or even the well, the NBA is a little bit more bounced around, but the NFL is pretty status quo. You know, there's two to three years of college. Everybody's kind of 23, 24. Quarterbacks are about 25, 26 when they start hit that first contract. And everybody, for the most part, right now is trying to get out out of that second contract by age 30. We've got a lot of free agents in baseball that are 30 years old, but the first time they get to free agency. So some of the numbers reflect that, but for the most part, Dan, they don't, right? It's just, you know, it was time to pay Aaron Judge. It was time to pay Jacob DeGrom. And the age was sort of tossed aside. We saw saw that quite a bit in baseball. Do you think that's going to autocorrect here before we dive into this list? I mean, has the Scherzer and Verlander stuff gone too far, you think, with the age and the the price and the cost of of living right now for a contender? Or do you think it's just going to continue to gas pedal down here? See, I would like to see contracts go more towards Scherzer and Verlander but right. the the age is a little bit hard with those two guys specifically because they were never going to sign a five six year deal at their age but I would like yeah. to see the you know free agents uh, you know I, I don't want to use him as I don't want to put him on a pedestal but the Trevor Bauer contract was really interesting yeah. and we are hoping things started to go this way where a player said Give me the upfront AAV and I'll bet on myself over the next two, three years and try and get back in to another big contract in the future. Now, we all know what happened there, but if these young, if first time free agents, I understand they can't, they, they can't pass up a seven year, $200 million deal, but the way I don't, I guess I don't know the answer to your question, Mike, but the organizationally, it has to be a philosophy mm-hmm that changes too. that they're just going to say, we're not going to try and, you know, manipulate the luxury tax threshold. We think this player is actually worth this amount uh, across this amount of time, but that may not with inflating prices, salaries, et cetera, we may never even see that happen or play out really. So I don't even know where to go with, I, I don't even know where this lands ultimately. Right. <clears throat> there are, there are two players who didn't get banned from baseball on this list right now that kind of go along with this conversation. Um, Xander Bogarts and Carlos Correa. Correa really followed the Bauer path um, and utilized it last year. Bogarts followed the opt-out path and cashed in with a team that was willing to overpay him, you know, immediately speaking. So uh, there are ways to do this, you know, because building in a a, a massive term contract with an opt-out 
sounds bad for the team, but what it does is it lowers that initial AAV. So everybody gets a tax benefit up front, and then the player gets some sort of option to, if he thinks he can increase his value, right? If he can increase his total value and term or whatever he needs, he can opt out and try again. We're seeing more of that than not, right? The, the Nolan Arenados of the world really don't exist right now, but um, I, I think we're at least starting to, to slide in that direction. I don't know why a player like Judge didn't do it. You had all the leverage in the world, right? We, we talk about so much ownership leverage in this sport. Judge had all the leverage in the world. He had six gigantic contenders throwing $300 million at him, and he didn't take a player opt-out. Even if you don't plan to use it, in my opinion, you have to get it in the freaking contract so that other teams or other agents and players can say, well, he got one. It's like the no trade clause. We, we just got to get everybody doing it so that everybody has the ability to get it into their own contract and we can get more and more player control here. But look, teams aren't going to just hand them out, you know, haphazardly. We've got to have players actually go that route. So maybe that's a bridge conversation of what you're saying. And maybe it's something that some, the next wave of free agents, Otani being one of them, can actually push for. We'll see. All right, let's get to the list. It is Aaron Judge at the top of this list, nine for 360. It's a year more than any of us thought he was going to get. That was the straw that broke the camel's back with the Yankees getting him back in New York. Nobody really cares, right? I mean, he was he's the captain. He was the face of that franchise. If it took another year, um, everybody's happy about it. I'm on the side that this was a successful season for Aaron Judge. Um, no matter what happens the rest of the way here, he came out looking like 2022 Aaron Judge. The production was there. He's still one of the freaking top pro hitters in the league, even though he's played like 70 games. Um, to me, it just looks like he's still that guy. Now, now you know, he, he dealt with some freakish injuries in terms of like getting hit by a pitch and things like that. This toe injury, I don't know. Is it one of those things that just kind of comes back and back and back? Is it like plantar fasciitis to some degree where it kind of rears its ugly head every now and then? I don't know, but... The injury stuff was always going to be the big red flag with this guy, you know, and I don't think the Yankees can combat that, but uh, your confidence in Aaron judge for the next eight seasons and, you know, essentially 36 million per year th throughout the way here. I mean, we never thought this was going to age. Well, it's no. already sort of popping up. I think our issue with it was more team context than player context. Like he does offer you a lot. Um, but mm -hmm. the, the injury stuff is legitimate. I, a, a human of that size playing a sport like this, um, it, there's just very few sample sizes of that being successful over, you know, uh, a long period, you know, that player maintaining longevity. So I'm not mm -hmm. confident. I, I think in the short term, he's still a hell of a player and offers a lot in that lineup and they basically need him, but no, I'm not overly confident that this, um, when it was signed, uh, or going mm -hmm. forward, how it would would play out and I really haven't adjusted off of that. <clears throat> Where do the Yankees stand right now? There's two Yankees on this top 10 list, by the way, we'll get to the other one. It's not as nice of a story. Um, do you think that there's major changes coming here? Because the, the point of signing judge back at 360 is we've got a couple years of contention here. We might, all we're going to do is win one freaking world series. And this, this giant contract is worth every cent. Are, are they in a position where they're still vying for that, Dan? Or do you think there are major changes coming to front office and on the field as well? I think both could be true, but it would have to, in my opinion, it's initiated by a little bit of a philosophical change throughout the organization. And I guess what I'm hinting at is what they would need to do is basically what they just saw happen in Queens with Steve right. Cohen, right there. They've, yeah. they've, 
sort of band-aided this thing together over the past years with signings of older players, um, you know, and mm-hmm. now you have a couple really big anchor contracts, which is probably going to prevent you. Um, a, it's probably preventing you from really dipping into free agency again, but also at the same time, it's blocking you from developing younger talent, younger, cheaper talent. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. I think, I think the Yankees might have to sort of buy themselves out of this. If that's moving on from a couple of those contracts, getting some of those younger players in, but I mean, well, they, it, and I can we like talk about it? Cause, because the reason I brought this up is we've talked about it before. Garrett Cole's opt out happens after 2024 you and i both think he's he's going to do it right he's going to opt out of this contract after 2024 which is one season away which generally means the yankees can consider putting him on the trade block this winter don't you agree with that if they think he's going to opt out and they don't know kind of where they exist right now in the window of contention isn't that a priority at least shopping and and getting some kind of offers back for garrett cole this winter or do you think that's crazy talk i don't think it's crazy but I is, that, is that kind of what you were alluding to, Dan, or, or was it a more simpler uh, discussion in your head? Um, I haven't thought through it enough to, to, to stake a claim one way or another. I, I guess what I'm saying with the Garrett Cole thing is that is a major smoke signal of what they plan to do going forward. Right. Um, if they're moving on from him, I would expect other big moves, DJ LeMayhew, mm-hmm. that kind of thing to, to follow. Um but that would be a line in the sand if they're moving on from Garrett Cole that they want to to go younger. But I, I don't even know if that's a philosophy that would work in that town with that organization, those fan that fan base. Like it, it, I, in my lifetime, I can't even remember the Yankees ever really taking a, oh, more than a half step back in any given season. So that's for right. them to do a multi-year rebuild, I have trouble getting on board with that which is why I don't think that they're going to do this and and have wholesale organizational changes. I do think it's time though um, to at least look themselves in the mirror and and really consider if what they've been doing is the right way to do it. But two two um, quick questions and we'll get off the Yankees. Are they legitimate Otani contenders? I say no. And it goes even beyond their current team context. I mean, I, 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 I legitimately have concerns if he has any interest in being New York in New okay. York. That was from the start, even before he signed with LA, regardless of the Mets Yankees. I, I mean, money talks. I do get that. But in a world where a guy, this guy can basically write his own paycheck. Um, I would put them down the list quite a bit, but, but that's me. And, and, and also that's in terms of team context, money committed, um, it would be another chase move, in my opinion, where they're like, well, we can't let this thing, you know, the ground crumble beneath our feet. We need to add another big piece. Who cares about the money? Um, I just think smart, like in terms of what is smart to do from like how they get rebuilt quickest, it would be sort of taking a, a refresh, you know, hitting the reset button on this team. So no, no, no to Otani for me. <clears throat> it's part of that refresh moving on from Brian Cashman. It's fair to consider. I mean, he's the longest tenured. I, I believe he's longest tenured in the league right now. Um, but if, if they're again, last, if they're last place in the AL East, do you think it's a foregone conclusion? I won't put anything. I won't say yes, a hundred percent, but it looks bad. I mean, the, yeah. the loss yesterday to the Marlins down, you know, they, came back down what was it six runs seven runs 
it's bad and they're scrambling. Yeah. I mean, but but again, you look at the standings, this team's still what three games over 500. So I'm, I'm sure some Yankee fan is out screaming out there, what the hell are you talking about? But I mean, like, are you how long are they willing to pedal in mediocrity? Yeah, as things are currently set up, I think it's a few more years unless they make some major changes here and major changes probably aren't coming unless the infrastructure from the top down has changed. And I, I don't know if this regime, I mean, there's so much comfort there with the Steinbrenners and Brian Cashman. I don't, I don't really know if they're willing to do that, but you never know. Yeah. I've never been closer to saying yes to that question. Let's put it that way. Um, too many games that had to get, had to get one, didn't get one this year. And I, I look to some of the signings that were made of late acquisitions via trade acquisitions via free agency. We're going to talk about one here in a couple minutes uh, that really kind of set them back for the entire 2023 campaign. But there's a lot of things happening, right? They're obviously not hitting the ball. Either are the Mets. That's a big part of it. But if the Mets move on from Showalter and bring in David Stearns to sit on top of Epler right now, right? They at least have done something organizationally to try to right this ship immediately. If the Yankees just roll Brian Cashman back out there, you know, and, and I know that's what they continue to do. They are, they are one of the most loyal franchises in all of sports. But I think you have to do something significant. Maybe it's trading Cole. Maybe it's moving on from Cashman. But I, I do think one of those two things is very possible over the next couple of months, especially if the Yankees are sitting in last place, which looks pretty possible right now. So, all right, let's move on. The Phillies are likely to make the postseason again, despite all of us trying to keep them out before the year. We had plenty of discussions about how much of a, you know, just kind of a fluky year 2022 was for them, getting to the World Series kind of on fumes. And uh, they didn't really have the roster that was sustainable. They didn't. You know, they looked like the team that fell back to earth for a lot of 2023, but they're kind of ramping back up at the exact same moment they did last year. I'm not saying they're you know, headed back to the World Series in October here, Dan, but they do kind of feel like a team that's that's hitting all the right notes at the right time. And that includes Trey Turner, who signed the 11 for $300 million contract and has had career lows basically across the board. I mean, he has been a shell of himself for most of the season. He's starting to right this ship a little bit. Uh, you, you kind of noted offline, they've moved him up and down this lineup just to kind of get him going. That's generally a sign that the team has no idea how to make this work right now. Is this just a fresh start, a new team, he's getting acclimated to the whole situation and they're not quite sure how to utilize him in a lineup or is it more than that right now? I am, I tend to give this player benefit of the doubt. He's performed yeah. at such a high level um, everywhere he's been throughout his career. Um, the concern with the term coming into this was um, he's sort of a guy that doesn't pop in any one stat or metric, but he does everything well. Um, some might say that the one of the he's one thing he's best known for is stealing bases, which typically doesn't age real well. Um, but he is a tremendous uh, base runner. Period. So I, I tend to think that um, that will age a, a little bit softer than um, some other players. So yeah. all this is to say that I would be back in on Trey Turner next year. I think this is new player, new situation um, with a lot and you could say well we've seen him you know move teams already before organizations twice um but this is a new a huge monster contract in a new um totally new organization so i am i'm gonna lean on that and i i think he's a player that should should rebound um next year but it, it hasn't looked good so far and um but to your point 
if people aren't writing, considering him like a, a deflated asset in that lineup, I, I'm totally on board with you. That offense can get hot. I, I think my my criticism of the Phillies has been their starting rotation beyond Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler. I have some concerns, but um, the offense can can rake with the best of them. So we've seen that um, kind of come to fruition sometimes here and carry teams into the playoffs sort of like last year with the Phillies. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm not worried at all. I've always loved the player. I think the bouncing around from team to team here the past, you know, 24, 30 months probably rode on him a little bit and he's just kind of trying to settle. And maybe, maybe he did a little bit too much of that this year in this off season and, and worried a little bit more on being here for the next decade and not so much, you know, getting himself prepared for the season. That's what it looked like to me. He just came out of the gates kind of a shell of himself. And I don't think that'll be the case next year. In fact, I'd bet on him from a fantasy perspective if I could. So I, uh, I just love the player. He's not aging out of his, his production just yet. He's still going to swipe 25 bags here and, you know, post 25 plus doubles and do all the things that he's known for doing. Um, I just think, you know, and, and let's not put this away either. He kind of fell ass backwards into that Dodgers lineup that is maybe the softest landing spot you can have, right? I mean, could you have more protection on an organization and in a lineup than that? He stayed there for, you know, a year and two months, probably got pretty comfortable with everything that was around him there. And Philadelphia just doesn't have that consistency. They have bats, but those bats kind of come and go as most teams do with their power production. So I think he's maybe trying to do too much in a lineup that isn't as good as the one he just left in LA. And he'll figure he'll he'll figure that out, and they'll figure out how to utilize him, whether it's at the top of the lineup or somewhere in the middle. I think he's batting fifth for this team quite often right now, too, which is weird. By the way, a lot of these top ten free agents batting fifth for some reason. Most of them DHing, so kind of a weird anomaly. But um, we'll see where where Trey Turner ends up next year. I'm in uh, on Trey Turner, even though I'm not so much in on the Phillies as long term contenders. Uh, speaking of shortstops, Xander Bogarts opted out of his massive contract extension in Boston. And many of us looked around the room saying, this is crazy. He's just not going to get this kind of coin again. And then the San Diego Padres said, hold my beer and offered him 11 for 280, even though they had Fernando Tatis Jr. And they had already acquired Juan Soto and they had plenty of other contracts under, under their belt already. It sounded crazy when they did it. And his production has made it seem just as crazy now. Do you agree with that? Somewhat, somewhat. I, th- I mean, I th- still think the contract was an overpay considerably. I think this is quite a bit a product of an overall disappointing year um, yeah. from the San Diego offense. <laughs> Excuse me. He's still, he's still productive in the middle of that order. Um, if this was like a contending team, I think we would feel drastically different about his numbers. I think um he can be a little bit of like a counting stat, uh, uh, like a just yeah. pile, like trying to pile up numbers um, by, you know, I feel like he did that in Boston, though, and that was just not a good team. So was he getting, you know, false stats on a good team or is he really an elite player? Truly, that, that's the question I want to ask here, because he's being paid like one of the top three or four shortstops in all of baseball and, more, you know, a top 10 overall producing hitter in baseball. I'm just not sure he's that player, Dan. Well, we did talk. We we talked about this um, when this was signed. That really, any of these shortstops, they're being paid like an elite shortstop, and really, did did are they uh, truly worthy of that? Especially with Xander Bogarts, who people think he's going to shift over over to second at right. some point. But um, for what it's worth, he's still sixth in F WAR um, mm. 
this year, kind of, but really not sticking out on either side of the ball is the issue. He's not um, overperforming defensively or offensively. So it's, it's not as bad as it looks on the surface, I think is what I'm saying, but the contract is not, is still not great. So I think both can sort of be true where um, I don't really hate the player long-term, although I don't think he's elite. Um, I think he is a very solid middle of the, it, it, order contributor um who can give you okay defense especially if he shifts over to second at some point but again with the current context of this team it doesn't all it doesn't all line up um real well for me in terms of like specifically the fact that they paired this bogart's contract with an aging manny machado extension with a with a what seemed like premature you darvish extension like all of that together kind of didn't really make a lot of sense to me and um i I don't know where they go from here it's got to be better than this there's no question about it um talks right now happening that juan soto and extension could be imminent by the way so all those trade talks we thought we wanted to have with soto leaving town this winter might not happen because the next 300 million dollar contract for san diego might be right around the corner so they're not slowing down you know they didn't sell at the deadline sounds like they're looking to keep soto for the long term they're all in on this lineup. They just have to figure out how to make it all work. So it's a, boy, that's fun. It's a hell of a lot of money to talk about. We'll keep us busy for the next couple of months for sure. Carlos Correa also opted out of his contract in Minnesota after a really outstanding 2022. And then he got, you know, the medical situation brought forth, right? It became public that his foot was in rough shape. Six or seven teams kind of looked at that thing and said, hell no. One team tried to sort of lowball the whole thing. Another team brought him in on what we thought was going to be a nice contract in the Mets. That faltered at the end of the day. There just wasn't enough confidence in that foot. He ends up back in Minnesota on six for 200. There's an opt-out available for him. There's club options, invested options built in if he plays. Where do we go with this? Um, he just doesn't look like he's ever going to be that guy again. I mean, that's clearly what the medical said to some of these teams out loud, right? That he's, never, he's not going to be that five-tool player ever again. He's still producing, you know, and they're winning kind of despite his lack of production to, at some degree. But I, I still kind of like this player. I, I don't know if, where, where you stand with this. I know you follow him more from a, from a fantasy and gambling perspective than I do. Um, so you kind of see the up and downs more than I do. It's, uh, you know, under a microscope. But I, I, I still like this player. And I, I just don't know how long you can trust him. But again, this isn't a 12-year contract. I kind of feel like the the price and the term fit the scenario here from Minnesota. Yeah. And he can, he can pretty easily shift over to third base. Like at this point, his body type might even um, work better there. So I, I think he sort of has an expiration um, date mm-hmm. at shortstop, but they, they kind of paid him like an elite shortstop. Right. So I, they're probably going to try and milk that as long as is possible. I'm just pointing out that there is a little bit of um, versatility right. there that this isn't like a, you know, how long do we have to lock in this underperforming player at a prime at a premier um, Mm -hmm. spot in our, in our order. So um, I'm with you though. I like the player overall still. I think he offers you a ton of intangibles um, that aren't going to necessarily come up in his line score. I know most people don't really care about that. You know, when a guy's making this kind of money, but um yeah. The World Series pedigree, his the way he attacks the game, breaks down the game. I don't know if anyone heard him on broadcast in the playoffs last year, but he was excellent in terms of yeah. how he 
um, you know, just dissects baseball period. So yes, I am, I am totally fine. Minnesota needed an anchor um, to build around in free agency. The fact that they were willing to make him um, that guy, I have no issue with this long-term, even if injury things do pop up or um, his production does take a hit. I don't think we're ever going to see the uh, 24, 25 year old Carlos Correa again, but um, I think he's a player that could age nicely. I do too. And I think that lineup's deficient. I'll put it, I'll put it nicely that way. Some of those kids continue to get hurt. We haven't seen a full Byron Buxton season. They're a team that needs to add this winter to that lineup, to the position players to put a couple of bats around him, which should inflate his numbers sort of automatically, right? He shouldn't have to do more than he's doing right now. Uh, they just need some juice around the lineup. So I, I actually think this is a team that can get better, even if they win the division and, and get that first round by this year. All right. Jacob DeGrom. You know, the Mets said no at a certain price, at a certain term because of the injuries. They knew exactly what they were getting themselves into. The Rangers did as well. Five years, $185 million and six start laters. DeGrom is out for the year and most of next year with Tommy John surgery. Um, I don't know what to say about this. It was buyer beware, right? I mean, what else, what else, how else do we comment on this outside of, unfortunately, we all kind of saw this one coming. Yeah, I agree. Um I will point, I mean, I, I'm a Rangers apologist. I, the one thing I will say is that they, they not only spent on this contract, but they were willing to back it up with subsequent free agent contracts, which really set them up um, with the current depth that they have. Mm-hmm. So what I loved about this especially was that they were willing to take a high ceiling risk um, financially, but they, they kind of, um, created a soft landing. If that didn't get wrong, if that didn't go right, which we typically don't see teams, um, yeah. like to just spend on that splashy player and then call it a day. But, uh, the so not only did they there, handcuff so. it. Yeah. Not only did they handcuff it, like you're talking about immediately, right over the winter with Evaldi and players like that, they supplemented it and kind of attempted to fix it at the deadline, right? With Scherzer, with right. Montgomery. I mean, they haven't stopped trying to right this wrong. And it's almost as if they were ready to do it. You know, they knew exactly what they were going to, they were getting them into. If they could get 30 starts out of DeGrom, it would be a modern miracle. I, everybody kind of was saying that out loud. They didn't. And now it's not just about this year. It's about next year. And they've kind of already fixed that problem with Max Scherzer, as long as he can be 85% Max Scherzer for the next 18 months. So, I, I don't disagree with you. They've spent a billion dollars in terms of trade acquisitions and free agent contracts over the past two years. There's no going back at this point, right? You, right. you can't just say, all right, well, we've got three or four guys. Let's see what we can do. They have eight guys. They've signed significant players to significant contracts. And it's there's really no getting out of this right now. So, And by the way, I actually like this team a lot. They're fun to watch. They're fun to listen to. The, the acquisitions they've made are intelligent, in my opinion. They aren't really, you know... None of them kind of feel like some of these overpays we're talking about, which is, you know, I, I think every team in the league would have at least tried to offer Corey Seager that contract because of the player he was, because of the player he was still going to be. The Semyon one probably feels like a little bit of, a, of, of, you know, an inflated number, but taking a risk on DeGrom and Scherzer and, and to some degree Evaldi, who we'll talk about in a second, I, I never had a problem with that kind of stuff. So for a team that was just trying to push, and by the way, you've talked about it a lot. They've got kids that they're developed, trying to develop as quick as possible to become what the Dodgers are, right? Which is a phenomenally veteran team on the field. And pretty much everybody on that field has somebody waiting in the wings 
either in AAA or AA that everybody knows about. And that's really hard to do, but that that's the model Texas is trying to take. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to shoot him in the foot for anything that's happened here. This, this contract included, even though, unfortunately, most of us who've been watching the ground for the past six or seven years knew this was where it was headed. Okay. Dansby Swanson. I'm going to give you the floor. Uh, I call it a success. I think it's exactly what they signed up for. I didn't think the price was too crazy. Seven for 177. Seemed about right. All things, you know, Trey Turner's contract and Bogart's contract and recent ones to Lindor and, and, and Chato and players like that. I'm good with this. And I'm good with where this is headed from a Cubs standpoint. Um, but I wonder if you have different thoughts on Dansby Swanson right now. No, not at all. Um, again, the money, like the money plus term was a little bit eyebrow raising when it happened, but it was a product of the market, right? No yeah. really elite shortstops and teams who needed slash wanted, um, you know, an anchor there. It, we're going to spend to get it. And that's the price of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, of a starting shortstop in, in free agency. Um, I know I like Danzy V Swanson a lot. I not to repeat myself again, but um, I thought the Cubs were a, a half step ahead of what the public um, perception on their timeline was that they were a little bit re uh, more ready um, to start building like a multi-year, uh, a multi-year off season, uh, sorry, a multi off season um, right. rebuild like we saw with the Rangers. Right. So, um, and I, I had no problem with them making this the guy that they wanted to commit to Um some uh you know intangibles probably offered with world series experience playoff totally. experience etc um totally. and yeah he's carried that over to chicago he is fourth in f overall f4 right now um yeah. uh, uh, above average in both on both offense and defense so it's just, he, he had and that's also with missing a little bit of time here recently so yeah no issues here it's at the end of the day it might be an overpay but i think this was a, a, a probably one of the better value contracts at the offseason this is easily the best value top 10 free agent contract we have right now there's no question about it i mean judge had a chance to get there with a healthy 2023 it didn't happen uh so this one kind of stands alone in that regard uh, you know, the Cubs aren't going to make the postseason. They're about a 54% chance right now, according to fan graphs. They're going to be on the outside looking at the end of the day. But this is going to be a fun team to watch this winter. Don't you agree? Whether it's making moves to subtract in order to make room for a couple of prospects that I know you know are, are ready to go and they've been kind of suppressing or the exact opposite, which is maybe moving a prospect or two to bring in some serious bat and, and another pitcher to replace Stroman and, and really see where this thing can go. Because I, I think at least from a, a one through nine standpoint, this team is pretty damn close. And we're going to talk about one of those players in a second here, but there's a, there's a lot to like here. Like, I think they took three or four steps more forward than we expect them to do this year. And I have a feeling that Swanson's pedigree is a big reason for that. That's not something you can, you know, and by the way, Seager in Texas was probably a big part of that as well. You know, you're bringing over a Dodger pedigree. That's the team we want to be. Let's go get their shortstop and, and start to build around it. So it, if you're poaching Braves players right now, there's probably a lot worse you can do. Yeah, I just I literally just made the comparison, but I want to reiterate it. This feels like the the uh, last year's Texas Rangers where we looked at we looked at Seager. We looked at Simeon. We looked at John Gray and said, what the hell are they spending all this money on? And then now after the 2023 free agent period, we go. Okay, now the picture comes into focus. I like the depth. I like the youth they've got supplementing behind that. I think the Cubs are going to be that team that after this upcoming offseason, they're going to make a splash. I, I, maybe it's it, it. 
I don't want to say maybe it likely is not Otani or something like that. But I was going to ask. Think, it, it, they're they're in the top ten, right? If not, maybe the oh, top five. I think they're in the top five. But okay. It's, it's okay. The, I, I keep I keep walking that back because it's literally not included in any list I can I can find. They're just like not really in the conversation for some reason. But they're my sleeper. Um, candidate there, but mm-hmm. I have literally no intel on that. I, it's just a team that feels ready to make a big splash to me. Um, so if it's, it, it probably is an Otani, but I'm just saying this upcoming off season, it wouldn't surprise me if they kept, if they, you know, fetch two of the top 10, mm-hmm. 15 overall free agents, right. Um, you know, they add like a, a Matt Chapman or something to that lineup. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, okay, now they're ready to go throw some pitching in there bring up, you know, some of the youth that they have marinating in the minors. Um, that's a team that I look to to take a big step forward next year, even though we sort of predicted this, you know, sort of half step forward this year as well. So I'm with you. It feels like Texas uh, two years ago where, where we, they kind of all surprised us with gigantic signings out of nowhere. And um, I'd be ready for this one. If I were, if I were the Chicago Cubs. Okay. Back to the Yankees quickly, Carlos Rodon. Six for 162. At the time, I remember thinking, and maybe I, I spoke to you about it, that number seems low. So why is it low? Well, it seems like it was low because of the injury history, because of the red flags that came with it, and they surfaced about as quickly as they possibly could. He missed 100 days with an arm injury. He's back on the aisle because of a hamstring pull. At some point, they're just going to shut him down as soon as you know things really start to dwindle, and it seems like last night was a thorn in the coffin for the Yankees. But... Um, I don't know. I mean, this was the, this was the thing, right? This was the the cloud hanging over this entire situation this past free agency. It's why the Giants didn't overpay to keep this guy, even though it was a huge need for them. You know, especially when they didn't get Aaron Judge and they had to go a different route in free agency last year. They didn't do this. They didn't go as big as they could go. And I know there was some some animosity between player and team there, but um, to me, the, for the same reason the Mets didn't bring Degrom back. The Giants not bringing back Rodon on a price that they probably could easily afford was the biggest red flag of all. Uh, is this the biggest swing in the miss the Yankees have made in a while? And is it could this be the name that ends Brian Cashman's career? Because I actually think it could be. The, I, I should probably do a little more research before throwing this out there, but this has to be one of the worst free yeah. agent contracts signed in the last half decade, right? And yeah. I say that because of all the circumstances you just laid out. Plus I remember distinctly the fact that there was no leverage in this, no opt out, no player opt out anything. And they gave him a full, no trade clause. So it's this term plus price, plus the fact they gave the player all the control and leverage in it throughout this contract, which I remember being blown away at that. This player who was, you know, the, the White Sox literally designated him from for assignment, which is how yeah. he ended up in San Francisco, had had a nice year there, two years there. But exactly like you laid out. So I always thought he could get a, a contract similar to this, but I was convinced that there would be, um, you know, some team leverage worked in there at some point. And if, if there was player leverage to this amount that he would have had to, to take a discount and to, you know, to some degree. It was a desperate signing by the Yankees. And that's not something you generally hear, right? The, the word desperation with Yankees attached to it, but that's what it felt like. And now yeah, that's been exactly what it. it looks like. Yeah. They've been chasing it. So that's what I mean. I, I don't think the Cashman stuff is, is out of bounds. I really don't. I think this is one of those things that everybody sits down around the table and looks at and says, we can't be doing this. We're, we're the freaking Yankees. Right. So, um, 
you know, it might be a bit of an overreaction. I don't think so, because this one really set them back. And by the way, if you look at the rest of the rotation, Severino's on his way out. Herman is, holy cow, what do we do there? It's just not good. Cortez couldn't stay healthy for a minute this year. So it's uh, it's bad. It's it's as bad as you could probably be in terms of the Yankees on the, on the mound right now. And if Garrett Cole is the only shining star they have and the best trade chip they have, I'm just saying all those things kind of generally lead to that kind of conversation, especially from the, you know, the New York media come October and November when the Yankees and the Mets aren't in doing anything but sitting around looking around looking for 2024. Speaking of which, Brandon Nimmo's next, uh, eight for 162. He's currently paying left field for the Mets because they have no one else to play any of their position because they are literally Outside of him and, and, and Lindor and Alonzo, everybody else in this roster is completely different from the way they started the year. It's pretty bonkers. A um, lot of changes, a lot of, mo- lot of movement, a lot of regression, a lot of, um, I don't know, regrets, I guess. It's probably the best way to put it. We don't need to get into it too much. We've done singular shows on the Mets alone. I know you couldn't believe the numbers on this contract when it was signed. I, I'm just here to say the Mets have a lot worse problems than Brandon Nimmo. Let's put it that way. Um, it's always going to be an overpay. He's been exactly the same player he's been over the past two or three years. The numbers are going to bear out at the end of the year. There's no question in my mind. He's going to look like this next year too because his, his work ethic and the player that he is is worth consistency. Now, he's not consistently elite. He's probably not even consistently above average for the most part, but he is consistently solid. And for a super rich owner, I think there are worse ways to spend $162 million. So I'm not super worried about this one. Uh, there's a lot other concerns to worry about in Queens. I, I don't know where you stand, though. Should they just let this guy walk? Well, in hindsight, yeah. probably, maybe. But yeah, I, I am actually prepared to eat crow on this a little bit because I, I did, call, entering the season, call this probably the worst free agent yeah. contract. And I just thought it was a product of – um, the center field market, which we've talked about, there was literally no one available. Multiple teams desperately needed a center fielder. The Mets felt like they were still in contention, um, you know, legitimate contenders coming into the year. So they signed him. So I didn't have a problem with it from like the team context standpoint. I was very concerned about um, him staying healthy, which has really never happened besides 2020. Um, which was my concern, a player getting the, the premier center field contract, making this kind of money for that long. Is he going to stay healthy? He's been he's been as advertised this year. My main concern, I think, with it now is that if, you know, you signed him to be your center fielder and now he's not playing center field, he doesn't really project as a corner outfield bat that gives you no. like above average production. So that's I, I think he's perfectly a center fielder. And if you don't intend to use him there, then, then we have a little bit more, um, you know. No, I, th- I think he's going to be back but... there in 2024 as soon as they sign or acquire a left and right fielder. But, you know, they currently don't have one of those. So he's just kind of right. filling in wherever he can fill in. He's got it, got it. Utility guy. Um, to me, it was always going to be bad business when you're negotiating against the Colorado Rockies for anything, um, which is what was <laughs> happening here. Uh, I, I don't like teams like the Rockies driving prices up on contenders, but that's, that's how it works, right? I do it in auction drafts. I know you do as well. So um, it's an overpay. It's always going to be an overpay, but he's an intangible type player. So I, I guess you can live with this and just move on to the next contract and hope you don't screw that one up. Cause I think this one is just a, a solid player getting more money than he's worth. And that's perfectly fine. So we'll move on. Speaking of which 
Let's stay in Queens, Dan. Because <laughs> the Mets and Yankees are all over this freaking list. Edwin Diaz. What do we even say? This one's even worse than DeGrom. You know what I mean? I mean, I can. St- I still have the images of him hobbling off that mound and at the WBC <laughs> celebrating the freaking championship um, and kind of thinking to myself, well, this is exactly what the Mets season is going to look like. And lo and behold, it's exactly what happens. So uh, I'm going to put it this way. They brought this up on the broadcast yesterday on ESPN. There's, I don't know, 70 million and change, 78 million left guaranteed through 2027 right now. Um, and there's a couple of options built in at the end. Do you bring him back this year at all? Or do you let this thing ride into February and let him restart the process from scratch with what's probably going to be a pretty brand new Mets team? I wouldn't rush him back, but if he's ahead of schedule and they just want him to get like a few innings in ter- like in terms of um, mm-hmm. comfort, getting back on the mound, showing I can do it, going heading into an offseason, having that under his belt, I would have no issue with it. But um, maybe the narrative has changed a little bit in recent years, but I don't think the Mets health, uh, how they've handled health and injuries <laughs> has always played out the best. So I would be a little bit concerned personally, if he does come back this year, considering where they are at in the standings. But um, if it, I, I'm just saying it from like a personal standpoint, if he like feels that he's ready and that he's checked off medically, maybe he just wants to get back um, and throw a couple innings. But yeah, I think he should just sit it out. Does Josh Hader supplant this contract this winter? I don't know, but it's probably close. Like, is this like, is, does this just turn into a, um, give me a $1 million that or $1,000 over sure. the Edwin Diaz? 102.01. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, um, if it is over that, I think it's like barely over it, but I think it's within range. Right. I mean, yeah. It, it's, it's been one of the amazing. one of the spotlights for the for the Padres this year is his kind of resuscitation. So it's good news for everybody, I think, in that regard. Yeah, and just to kind of put a bow on the whole Mets thing, we re, just to reiterate this, we talked about it coming into the year, but they spent all of that money on Brandon Nimmo and Edwin Diaz, and they had them on their roster prior. So that's just typically, like Mike just said, it's typically not good business when you're committing that much money. Um, to, to, to players and your team doesn't really look yeah. a whole lot different on the surface. Right. Um, real quickly, I don't want to get off on too big of a tangent, but I think it's worthy and we'll get there more when we talk off season stuff. Um, where do you stand with paying closers this, this kind of money, $20 million a year? I mean, there's a, there's a running back parallel here at some point, you know, because of the turnover and because of the, the ability for so many players now to step into a three out situation and, and kind of handle it at least for a chunk of the season. Um, is it still a situation where there's three or four guys in the league pretty much at all times that are worthy of these kind of money and that's just how it's going to be? Or do you think that most teams are completely out on $20 million closers? Well, 20 million is, I guess the outlier. So even if we scale it back to just like a bona fide, you know, well, let's just 10, say, let, let me frame it this way, man. Um, how many teams are in on Josh Hader at $20 million a year this winter? Yeah, <laughs> you, probably you know? less than a handful. Right, right. That So to answer the first part of that, I think there are a, there will be a certain chunk of guys that have the stuff plus the age, et cetera, the numbers, production that will get paid um, at any given time. There will be a couple guys making a big chunk of money as closers. Um, hmm. I don't think it's... 
going to completely go away because there will always be organizations that feel that they can, that's the place they can save money. Um, but we look at teams like the Dodgers and although this year they're not spending on a closer historically, they have spent on a closer. Yeah. So that's where I say organizations will place emphasis on locking down that ninth inning, getting wins. Um, if you have a guy that is proven there um, to be productive, I think he is worth, um, you know, committing a, a, a good chunk of your salary to if, if you feel confident in them. Okay. Last one. Wilson Contreras, the catcher for the Cardinals, came over from the Cubs. His job was to replace Yadier Merlina. No big deal there, right? It didn't go well. Um, I'm old enough to remember when the Cardinals basically exiled him from the catching position because the pitchers all hated him and whatever else went down. It was just ugly for a while there. It got super weird. Uh, he ended up catching 70, 75 ball games to date. He's probably going to finish with 85, 90 catch, you know, starts behind the plate. So it seems like something, you know, has worked out there, even though from a team standpoint, everything's still a disaster. I, I put in my note here, and by the way, there's a piece live on spytruth.com right now that details all of these top 10 free agent contracts. I put in my note that I would not be surprised one bit if his name is is tossed into trade conversations this offseason and St. Louis ends up beating half of this contract to watch him walk away. Are you with me on that? Or do you think that it's, uh, let's just see how another season goes and, and maybe we can turn this thing around? No, I agree. Um, under the contact, I, I see. I this is. I'm going to put this behind uh, the Rodon contract, his second worst contract signed, <laughs> and it's not even a criticism of the player. It's a criticism of the organization and their philosophy being interested in this player. At like, and and I say that meaning this was never going to work. They were for years. They've been willing to take below average production offensively with Yadier Molina in order to be well above average defensively back there. And they signed literally the opposite of that just to have some offensive um, firepower in their lineup. I don't know the inner workings, but it sounded like it was um, like a coach player issue. So that leads me to believe like, the front office and the coach, are they on the same page? We've heard is the, uh, like we heard Jordan Walker talk about his development being a little bit puzzling. So I, I'm, I'm bringing up all these points to say there's no, it seems like there's no cohesion within that organization, which typically gets high remarks. Um, so I'm a little bit surprised at their process and all of this, um, which makes me think is John Moselak on the hot seat. Um, mm -hmm. If he's not on the hot seat, I have to believe that they are, at least looking into moving on from this contract like you just laid out. So, yeah, I agree with you. There. What baffles just... me, and and I like where you kind of ended with that, because what baffles me the most is it's not like Yachty didn't give him a bunch of years to figure this out behind the scenes. I mean, the guy played for freaking ever, you know, and you're, even if he was a shell of himself, he was out there at least doing what he could do, giving this this organization literally a decade to try to figure out this, this position from the bottom up, and they ended up with nothing? I mean, Yadier Molina walks away from the game officially and they have to go searching for an overpriced catcher on the market. That's the answer to, you know, having this catcher in place for 20 years. I, I don't understand that. Um, at least with San Francisco, you know, even if the Bart stuff didn't work out, right? And they had another option behind Bart, right? They had, the Giants had a truckload of catchers lined up in their system, ready to supplant Buster Posey if and when that happened. And by the way, I think it happened earlier than they anticipated, but they were ready. 
how are the Cardinals not ready for this retirement? That's what I, that's what bothers me the most. That you had to go and spend all this money on a total, like you said, flip you know flipped process in bringing in Contreras off a rival Cubs team. It was just so weird and ugly and over bloated and and uh, I I have to think that even if a new GM comes in or a new coaching staff comes in, I think both those things are very possible. They're going to look at that contract and say, nope, we can't do this. Right? We're, we're going to have to shell out $40 million, eat half this thing, and start over with at least some kind of younger player that's defensive-minded. And uh, we'll, we'll, find bat, we'll find home runs and doubles and things like that elsewhere because that's not what we're doing here at this position. So I'm, I'm just shocked that they weren't prepared. That's all. I think they, uh, they, they put themselves in a situation where this was never going to work, and uh, it was not the right choice. There's no question about it. Okay. One more thing, and we'll get out of here. If I'm just organizing the entire list of, of 2023 free agents by war, which is a dirty way to do this, but it's simple for podcasting purposes. Your thoughts, your guesses on who the top valued player in all of 2023 free agency is. There's a pitcher and there's a position player. Do you know them? Um. The position by value, players. you mean currently making what they're currently making compared to production? Just, just what we could consider the best value signings, not necessarily in this top 10. They both, the pitcher and the position player, both play for teams we've talked about today. So one of the, one of the teams is definitely in the postseason, and one of the teams is probably not going to make it, but came pretty damn close. Um, I don't know, Nathan Evaldi for one, he, maybe. He is he is the best value free agent pitcher according to our data. Yeah, Nathan and I mostly Evaldi. say that because surprisingly he's in from a fantasy perspective, he perspective, he's been like mm-hmm. um a number one earner up until he got injured. So like that right. is just one that people are like, wow, he um he's produced quote like produced that much money, you know, if you will, and he was a late mid mid to late round pick. So yeah. He's, he's done this basically his whole career, wherever he's landed, right? He just kind of sneakily goes on the mound and does his thing consistently, start after start after start. And he had the luxury this time of being that handcuff. He was kind of the organizational depth for this Rangers team. And he's been one of the most reliable options they've had. So he's at the top of the best value list for pitchers. What about from a position player? He's going to win the comeback player of the year award by about a thousand. (laughs) Conforto, Michael Conforto. Cody Bellinger. Oh. Cody Bellinger. Yep, the free yep. agent signing of the year in terms of position players based on our data. Um, is he eyeing Nimmo's contract or is he is he going bigger than that, Dan? Boy, I don't know. Um, yeah. It's probably right around there, though, because, again, this year it's a very slim um, mm-hmm. center field market, which is why we sort of identified – Bellinger is like a almost guaranteed to move. Otherwise you really know that the Cubs are uh, feeling themselves, if you will. Right. Um, He's going to have huge offers. There's no question about it. He might get priced out of what the Cubs want to do. He just turned 28. So, you know, the up and down roller coaster career he's had, he, he's got plenty of time to put five good years together still. You know what I mean? So if we're talking about eight for 162 on, on Nemo, I don't know that that somebody's going eight years on Bellinger after really one year of solid production in Chicago, but 
it, it might look like the AEV at the end of the day. Don't you agree? Yeah, for sure. And if it does get into that eight year territory or even five plus years, there's probably going to be some sort of team out team yeah. leverage built into that, I would think. And I say that also because um, not Cody Bellinger, the player, but his profile links heavily to health, in my opinion, like uh, we sh- saw his shoulder injury almost derail his career. So one one shoulder injury playing center field. So I think there's going to be some sort of um, injury caveat or, you know, team leverage to get out of that. If it is a long-term in uh, long-term contract, but otherwise, yeah, I think he's, he set himself. I mean, the early season production or sorry, the early career production made his arbitration numbers kind of inflated. We talked about that. Um, So his, his free agent contract looked a little bit underwhelming in terms of AAD, but Mm -hmm. it was the term that we were surprised that it was only a one-year deal, but um, he, he positioned himself to get back out there and, um, maybe get you know a, a, a nice contract uh, after a, a really good rebound. So he's going to win comeback player of the year. That's an extra million dollars on his contract. So already up to thirteen. The buyout on his mutual option is five and a half million. So he's essentially worth the qualifying offer at the end of the day, which is pretty <laughs> wild. Um, and then we probably we think he probably goes into the low twenties, maybe the mid twenties with a, with a free agent extension. We'll talk about that. Uh, you didn't seem to think like Chicago was going to be the spot for him though. I did not have that on my list. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I'm fine with it. And if they want to lock him up, I mean, it seems like they want to lock him up or at least like you just laid out, maybe they do say, well, he has the value of a qualifying offer. We'll take the pick if he does, you know, we'll try and negotiate this out and take the pick if he does walk rather than whatever, the Yankees were willing to throw at them or whoever was in on him at the deadline. So um, that's an interesting perspective that I, that I liked and hadn't really thought through. So, yeah, there's a chance. There's a chance that he has completely turned this thing around. I don't know if I'd leave the town that helped you do it. That's my only point. You know what I mean? I think think I'd be willing to kind of stay where I am if it's working and that team is really on the rise. So uh, they're certainly in contention for players like this. Is Bellinger a top 10 free agent? I haven't put my list together yet, but he's got to be in that list. Don't you think? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get there soon. All right, man. Um, look, this is ugly. <laughs> I don't want the biggest contracts coming every year to have this kind of negative negative attitude to it, but they do. I mean, Swanson was kind of a win. You know, the, the Nimmo one is kind of a wash. Four or five of these are injury-related, and, and I'd say that's an anomaly, but I don't think that's true. I think that's just how this is going to be, you know? Guys are getting here at 30 years old, and they're just they're getting brittle and breaking down because of the marathon seasons, and... um you know, they got a couple of opt-out situations. Hopefully there's more of that built into some of these free agent contracts over the years. But uh, we continue to have troubles analyzing the big contracts in baseball with any kind of value or with any kind of optimism because for the most part, it looks like it did 15 years ago, which is owners are just doing whatever they can to get these names in the ballpark, putting their jersey on, hoping for one World Series to make it all worth it, like Bryce Harper and, and, and those you know kind of players have sort of done over the past couple of years. And if they don't get it done, we just pay $300 million for nothing. And that's really what, how this continues to work. Do you disagree with that? I mean, that's what the Padres are doing with a billion dollars worth of batters signed here. Yeah. I, I really can't argue with it. Free agency, like we've laid out numerous times is yeah. paying for past production rather than future performance. And right. um, I don't think that's, that blueprint is really going to go away. So um, eventually we're just going to have to kind of shift our mentality to just 
in a vacuum compare all of these contracts against each other maybe but um yeah i don't really uh, the 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 big time contracts being signed are almost never going to look uh good value wise in in the short term so quickly do you think the model will slowly 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 start to change to the nba style where we'll see most of these players never get to free agency they'll be extended with some sort of second rookie extension contract with their current team which then makes them tradable because it won't be this big 36, 35, 38, 40 million per year contract. It'll be less than that spread out over arbitration years and things like that. And we'll see players kind of get bounced around more via trade than waiting to get the team control, you know, to free agency, sign some sort of blockbuster and then be stuck in the mud for 10 years. I think, I think that's very fair. I mean, we're already seeing this with early extensions, pre-arb extensions, arbitration extensions. Um, and I and I really can't fault the players. It's just like how they're punting on money if and when they get to free agency, um, because really the only, we're kind of seeing only the earning the only earning potential years are year two and year three of arbitration where things can get real inflated. Um, beyond that, there these guys are hitting free agency, making only maybe a couple million dollars across their career. So. Um, yeah, it's hard to quantify. It, it really is hard to quantify. I, I think we're already seeing these guys, you know, as we see the Ronald Acuna's, the, those guys, <laughs> Corbin Carroll get locked up. That is like premier free agents that are coming off of the board in theory um, in the short term. And that money is still going to get allocated to somewhere, but that's going to get pushed down to a maybe tier two, tier three type of player, which is where we at the end of the day, take a, take a high view of the situation and go, how the hell is player X getting paid Y amount? Right. So um, it's really hard to see where this goes in the future, but I do think um, we're going to see guys taking extensions. Like we have seen more recently trending. <clears throat> Ronald Acuna Jr. is probably going to win the MVP on $17 million earned in, in his arbitration three year because of this extension. And then he's going to have to come back next February on $17 million for arbitration four as the reigning MVP in the national league. And then he's going to have to come back. You ready? Four more times on 17 million, Dan, four more times. It's five more total after this season on, on a flat 17 million with no known escalators built into this thing. So if you don't think the Braves have already won this contract, you're wrong. <laughs> they, they have destroyed this contract because what arbitration four could look like for, for Acuna Jr. after this MVP season might have been historic with 50, you know, 60 stolen bases and 35 home runs and 40, 50 doubles. Uh, we would have seen Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper type numbers for ARB four for Acuna Jr. And for all intents and purposes, the Braves are going to pay half of that next year. For sure. And um, I mean, just to kind of walk through that a little bit more too, he could have been put in theory uh, that our four in our system is projecting him as a super would be super two player next year. Um, they could have in theory played service time games with him to push him yep. out even a further year if they wanted to. So um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, massive, massive value. It really wouldn't shock me at some point if they revisit and try and extend um, to get him some more money up front, knowing um, how lucrative that contract has been for them and trying to keep 
um, you know, a premier superstar in a prime age locked up. Um, we, we've really only seen that, that with Mike so. Trout, Dan, that kind of right. restructured extension. It's the only contract I can remember in over 15 years of doing this in Major League Baseball where a player, a team and a player literally said, let's rip this thing up, rip up this guaranteed money and start fresh because we know how underpaid you are and we need to keep you happy. You're, you're probably onto something here, you know? You're probably onto something. If he wins his MVP and he's staring at 17 million next year and five, four more years of 17 million, the Braves really have to bend a little bit here, don't you think? Yeah, I do. And and I say that in the again in the overall context of their team, they've locked so yeah. many. Of they have guys value up. everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. So we we've talked about their near. Uh, I mean, they're probably over the luxury tax, and if they want to, you know, going forward, they'll probably be swimming in those waters, but it's not over and they're, they can afford it. So I, I don't think that would prevent them from, hmm. um, from doing that. But I mean, they are they one of to. the, yeah. you know, they are one of the more corporate corporation <laughs> type teams. Maybe they just sit back and, and um, count their stacks on the value that gained uh, when, when they, that they gained when they signed that deal. So, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was in the same conversation as that trout, uh, mm-hmm. you know, contract getting revisited, um, like you said, so. Okay. We'll keep watching things. Uh, postseason numbers, some, uh, some odds to make the playoffs. It's going to be a dogfight for some of these wildcard spots down the, down the line here. You and I are going to flip the switch to 2024 pretty quickly here with some, uh, extension candidates and trade candidates. And we're going to have to start to run some 40 man roster projections with some arbitration numbers and all that fun stuff. So, um, we'll be dual, dueling 2023 and 2024 over the next couple of weeks here, but that's what makes it fun. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Mike.